0: Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. Up today, our favorite TED Talks and what they have to say about making better decisions. On today's show, I'll also share my encounter with a black bear on a recent hike and my favorite app for preschool kids who just won't participate in sessions. (laughs) I'm Sarah, an SLP in private practice and telepractice, and I find making decisions difficult, especially when it comes to making decisions about work. I'm Sari, an
1: SLP in the schools. On this podcast, we talk about burnout, mental health, and how to be more content in your life and career. Plus, plenty of extra stuff sprinkled in there. And I find decisions about work and home both hard, especially when
0: there's a lot of decisions coming to me all at once. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like we're both ready to get started with today's episode because making decisions is so hard and I know for me, I can be an overthinker. So if you are too, I want to recommend a book that I found helpful. It's called How We Decide by Jonah Lehrer. But until you have time to read that, we are going to share our favorite TED Talks that discuss how we decide and how we can make better decisions. And I tend to overthink too and uh,
1: to get kind of stuck in indecision. So today we're talking about what our favorite TED Talks say about making those decisions, what we've learned, and what we can share with you. We hope that this episode is as helpful to you listening as it was to us as we researched these TED Talks. So let's get started. But first up, Sarah's got a story about a hibernating mammal or two that she encountered on a remote hike, and I can't wait to
0: hear more. (laughs) Okay. So this was a recent camping trip in Northern California and a good camper keeps all the best hiking spots a secret so I'm going to keep doing that but it was spring flowers blooming baby animals and we saw like little fawns deer that were skittering around and my husband and I decided to go on a 10 mile hike and that's about as long as we do in a day and the hike was beautiful and there was just so much diversity in the landscape so we went from forested areas, to oak savanna, to grasslands with beautiful blooming flowers and bright green growth all around. And yeah, it's especially nice to see that after a cold kind of brown winter. Mm -hmm. So it was peaceful. We'd been hiking for quite a while. We just had two miles to go. And like you said, Sari, we were hiking through a really remote hike-in only camp at the time. And it looked like there weren't a lot of people in the campground. So we we kept walking through the trail, went through that campground. And I saw something black and big running full speed away from me in the forest. And I turned my head and it was a black bear cub which disappeared into the forest. And you can really... Tell by the movement, you know, it's kind of like a cow and a calf, right? The little ones uh just move and can run, and the old mm-hmm. ones kind of are slow and kind of amble. So mm-hmm. I knew, even though I'd just seen it out of the corner of my eye, that it was a bear cub. And I also knew that if we saw a bear cub, that mama would be really close by. <laughs> so we walked probably just another minute or so. And I saw her. She was huge, giant, fat, lumbering, big mama bear. And she was just in the forest close enough to see us, but far away enough that, um, I knew that, you know, if she decided to charge us or come at us, we would, we would see her coming. Uh, so just, a side note that's really important about bears. So grizzly bears, those are the type of bears that like at National forests, you'll hear stories about. They're the kind that most people are afraid of and probably with good cause. It is extremely rare, but there are, especially if you want to look at like national parks where people are just hiking in really remote areas, they there are stories of them attacking people. So Black bears are powerful and dangerous, but they're not really a threat to humans. They're typically called trash bears because when you camp and you don't lock up your food or your food trash, please do lock up your food and your food trash in a bear box. This is really important. They tend to stick close to campgrounds, which is where we found those bears, where they can eat your trash. So it's not good for the humans to have bears around, and it's really not good for the bears. So as we're walking along, we see Mama Bear. We're not sure what to do. First we pause and we don't do anything. My heart was beating. My hands were shaking and I definitely got an adrenaline rush and I was not moving my eyes off the bear. So like fight, flight, or freeze, I just kind of froze at first Uh and I knew, you know, she might not be a threat, but she was massive and imposing. And if there was a fight, she would win. Like I would not win. So, uh, she looked, she stared, she slowly, slowly sniffed the air we were stopped. She stopped, and there was this moment where it was like, "Okay, are we going to stare at each other all day because no one's doing anything?" And we decide we're going to keep walking down the trail slowly and non-threateningly. Uh, the bear rules for hikers are that you should back off. Versus, if you see a cougar, for example, which is also in areas where I hike, you want to, you know, look big and fight. So. We kept walking slowly, watching the bear, and she followed us. So she was walking in the forest. We were on the trail, and she continued to walk parallel to us, far away enough, but parallel to us on the trail. And this went on for two miles or mm-hmm. so until we got to another campground. So... um and again, we didn't turn back because it was only two miles to the next campground or five miles if we went all the way back. So we decided to keep going forward. And darn it all if that freaking bear didn't stalk us the for the entire at least a mile, maybe two at that <laughs> time. And again, it was far-ish enough away. It was like, you know, in the forest, but again, walking parallel to us, eyes on us. And it's really incredible what happens to you when a 180-pound bear, (laughs) so again, black bears aren't too huge, but trust me when I say that's still terrifying, follows you for a mile or two. Um, It was really incredible because over time I started to calm down and my heart rate started to slow, even though this bear was still walking parallel to us. Uh, My hands stopped sweating and nothing had really changed. The bear was still following me, but I was getting used to it so after a while the bear disappeared into the forest and i think that's again because we were getting close to a more developed campground we arrived at the end of the hike at this campground safely and we told the camp ranger the story and instead of like saying oh we're gonna post a sign or i'm sorry that happened the response we got was dude that's cool (laughs) and i and and like no reaction And I was like, did you hear me? A grown black bear stalked us down. And he was like, oh, yeah, really cool. (laughs) So uh, that was not the reaction that I felt was appropriate for that situation. But nonetheless, uh, there are a few lessons in the story that maybe we could get out of this. So I wanted to share. And one is that sometimes it is our circumstances that can cause us stress. But sometimes we can relax within those circumstances more easily than we'd initially imagined. So don't get me wrong; it was never relaxing. Uh, <laughs> this at any point in the story, but um, I did calm down, even though the circumstances were the same. And then also. Um, in my reaction so I was quite afraid of the bear but then thinking about the camp ranger who was like oh that's awesome that's cool or even my husband who was like oh maybe we could take some pictures and I was like no (laughs) Um, so a big stressor for you might not be a big stressor for someone else and that's something to consider as you have something in your life that is stressful and not to anticipate that things are going to be a big deal for others that are a big deal to you And then finally, if you can't, please take care of your trash. I'm completely serious. These bears were near a dumpster at that remote campground. So it is, I am certain that someone there had not locked up their trash. Uh, So please help keep bears healthy by packing your trash in and out. Use your bear box at your campsite um, for your food and your trash as well. Oh my goodness. I would have been right there with
1: you. I mean, the phrase mama bear doesn't just come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have only seen three black bears in the wild in my lifetime, but I have never been stalked that I know of, and I would be very, very uncomfortable and nervous the whole time. Um, Also, thanks, Sarah, for that little wildlife care tip to take care of your trash. Pack it in, pack it out, please, people, and use that bear box. (laughs) Moving on from the nature soapbox, though, what should we talk about next, Sarah?
0: Well, next up, we have our what's up, what's down, where we talk about what's going well and not so well at work or at home. And this week I have what's down, so mine is easy. Did you hear I got stalked by a black bear, Sari? (laughs) Did you hear that story? Cool. Um, So (laughs) really cool. Really cool. Um, So Sari, how about you lift us up? What's up for you right now? My what's up this week is
1: frozen bananas and chocolate sauce. It's a simple dessert that feels like you're eating ice cream without that extra sugar or dairy. I used to eat frozen bananas a lot and I think I maybe overkilled it. I was eating it so much, but the treat is back right now in full force and it's delicious.
0: Um, so are you blending the bananas or are you using a whole banana? Sliced. Oh. Just sliced bananas. And then how do you, what do you use for the chocolate sauce?
1: Uh, Hershey's, just the regular chocolate (laughs) sauce. Okay,
0: okay, okay. That sounds pretty healthy because the treats I've made recently are M&M bars and cookies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I make those too sometimes, but I feel like I've got to share one that's on the healthier side for our listeners who I want to influence for the better. (laughs) So if you want to have a dessert and want to make a better choice than ice cream, frozen bananas and chocolate sauce is another option for you. And making better decisions is our main topic for today's episode, but before we get into our discussion, we've got to share a lazy lesson. This segment is a listener favorite, and it's where we share lessons that are easy, efficient, and don't involve a lot of time or buying of new materials. They are lessons that involve no prep or low prep. Up this week, Sarah is choosing an app, and she hardly ever uses iPads in sessions, so I want to hear more. Yeah.
0: So this is for when you really uh, have run out of your other options and you have to use uh, um, an iPad and an app. Uh, and this is <laughs> a lesson that's especially great for kids working on a functional language that are older or kids who are five and under. The app is called Peppy Bath. Uh, you can find it in your app store, P-E-P-I, Bath Light. It's free. So who do I use it for? I use this for my learners who aren't really engaging with me or in other activities, Uh, language kids with a short attention span, learners who are working on verbs, so like a language delay, and my AAC users because we can build some really nice verb and noun combinations easily. So... My favorite apps are ones like Peppy Bath, and you know, my Play Home Light is similar, and many of you probably are familiar with that, where you manipulate characters, you move them around, um, but there's no talking or language within the app itself. And this is really great, especially, I feel like, for language delays, which is what I'm talking about right now, because apps with lots of audio and talking uh, can become overwhelming. So, this is a nice, quiet app with lots of verb actions so with this app you'll choose a character and uh, I really like the bathroom scene there's also a laundry scene but in the bathroom scene they can take a bath they can go poop which is a fan favorite because Mm -hmm. the person sitting on the toilet also farts and (laughs) you use toilet paper um You can brush your teeth, wash your hair, brush your hair. You control the app and your learner can tell you what they want the character to do next. And naturally, they're going to use quite a few verbs. So this is great for speaking in phrases, again, using verbs, using descriptors, um, answering questions with a visual cue. So I can ask, like I can make the character brush his or her teeth and then say, what are they doing? Um, So overall, this is a a good app to have in your emergency toolkit for when you need it.
1: I'm probably going to have to download this one. I know this is going to be engaging for some of those kids that I struggle to get engaged and talking. Um, And I also like that it uses everyday tasks to facilitate language. And I know for you, Sarah, a lot of parents come to your sessions. So it's neat that they can watch you model using language to do these everyday tasks. And then even if they don't have the app, they can practice those while they do those things at home. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I hadn't truly thought about that, but I really like uh, also the fact that I'm just not handing over the app. Mm -hmm. And it's a good way to to model and to demonstrate how to use the visual of the app as a starting place to really facilitate language and interaction. So again, I'm going to do this for the session for the kid who just won't engage or maybe who's running out of the speech rooms. Uh, So speaking of difficult sessions, sometimes our best laid plans can go awry in our speech sessions. And up next, Sari is sharing an SLP lesson gone wrong and what she did about it. Right. So
1: I have a group of two students that come for speech together. And when I initially set up the session, the teacher said, yes, that time is fine. Um, But about 15 minutes in, One of the students was having meltdowns, and I just couldn't figure out why. It took a while, but eventually I realized that that halfway point, that 15 minutes through the session, was the student's snack time, and they were very food regulated and were having meltdowns because they weren't getting their snack. So first we had to work that out, and then the other student started wanting snack as well. And so one of the days I just asked the student number one to go and get their partner a snack as well from the classroom. And I suddenly I had a meltdown on my hands too. And when I say meltdown, this isn't just like a little bit of a whimper. This is a full out, shut down, heads down. Sometimes we're laying on the floor, can't get them back for the whole 15 minutes that are remaining in the session. So Um, I realized, though, through that, that when I asked the student to get a snack for their partner, they thought I was talking about sharing their own snack with their partner and that that was not allowed. Mm -hmm. The student was not comfortable with that idea, I should say. So the next time they came back, I had to do this whole lesson, not an objective, just this whole lesson where I drew pictures about what it meant to do a favor and get one for your friend versus sharing with your friend, and what I was asking the student to do. And then we went into the classroom and we practiced together, and now the student can do it no problem. But we definitely went through some meltdowns to reach this point.
0: That's that's I I mean I'm laughing because it's so relatable, not because <laughs> not because it's funny that your students were having a hard time, but uh, it's you know we we really are. Detectives and investigators, aren't we? Like Mm -hmm. there were, with both of your students, there were a series of things that you needed to find out to figure out what was causing the upset, Uh, and how did it go after you really explained the routine? Now the student does it, no problem. I just
1: ask them, oh, don't forget to get one for your groupmate. They go back to their class, which is right next door, and then pop back with a snack for themselves and for their peer. Mm -hmm. So. Now it's smooth sailing until I ask them to do something else the next time.
0: <laughs> and it also kind of makes me think about how a lot of our learners can be pretty literal, especially for like kids who hoard toys. I might say trade, right? So like, for example, in the barn, they'll, they're holding the cow and I'll trade them for the chicken. So I had a student this week who uh, we were doing a non-preferred activity. And the student looks at me and goes, trade <laughs> to request a preferred activity like mm, when I say trade I get it mixed up so I'm saying trade so I actually really love how when our learners realize the power of their own communication and their own self-advocacy uh-huh. and they're like mm, no thanks Miss Sarah uh, so that's my quick story of the day that is great and you know what
1: it's nice that we take those opportunities when they come up to teach these life lessons over the speech objectives when these little windows come up they're they're rare sometimes, but they're these great windows of opportunity to really learn these skills and learn these important things which are probably more important than being able to name the synonym or antonym of something mm-hmm. so I appreciate that both of us take those opportunities and let the lesson go out the window when we need to to teach these important skills
0: mm-hmm
1: And speaking of making those decisions to let the lessons go, which sometimes is a hard decision, Mm -hmm. that brings us to our main topic of the day, which is all about making better decisions and the TED Talks that we watch
0: to learn ways to do that. So before we dig in, if you're listening while driving or cleaning your house or doing your chores, don't worry. We are going to make a downloadable freebie for you so you don't need to take notes, uh, it will include our favorite TED Talks, links to the TED Talks, and what we learned from each one. If you want to get on that list, you can find it on our homepage, slphappyhour.com, or you can use the direct URL to slphappyhour.com newsletter. So I'm up first, and the first TED Talk we're going to discuss today is called Before You Decide. Three Steps for Better Decision-Making, and it's by Matthew Confer. So in this TED Talk, the speaker here works in the business world, and I love the thoughtful take on this. And he has a three-step decision-making process. And I'll go into each step more in detail, but step one is challenge the constraints, aka think outside the box. Two, embrace a premortem or think about what could go wrong. And three, check the basics. So I'll go through all the steps in detail here. Number one is challenge the constraints. The speaker says challenge the constraints to allow yourself to think big and to think different. So the example he gives is a class at Stanford where teams of students were given $5 and they were told you have a week Make this $5 go further and make some money out of this $5 when you come back. When all the students came back the following week, they found out the winning team didn't even use the $5. So the following week, each group had a five-minute presentation slot. So what this group did is they sold their rights to the five-minute presentation So they didn't even do the presentation. They sold that time to a local company who gave a five-minute speech instead, pitching jobs at their company to a room full of bright Stanford students. (laughs) So they challenged the constraints. So that is step one. The $5 was limiting a lot of this other group's ability to decision-make and come up with a great idea. So the speaker says, always challenge the constraints. And this is absolutely brilliant. It's real outside the box thinking. And I think as I was listening along, it can be so easy to feel like our choices are very limited and to use, you know, in the box thinking. So give yourself time to brainstorm, come up with new ideas. And even at this point, even if you're feeling like some of them are unattainable or silly, uh, let yourself dream before you decide what you're going to do and make a big decision. Step Two, embrace the premortem to mitigate potential mistakes and choose the best course of action. So think ahead to what options you're processing and think about what several potential outcomes could be and process those. So he gave the example of a government, I can't remember where, and it said, hey, you can bring in, there's too many cobra snakes. This is an overpopulated area. If you bring in dead cobra snakes, we'll give you money. They did not do a pre-mortem and think about the potential outcomes of that because they found out people were just breeding cobras and bringing them in. So ask yourself, what are several potential outcomes of these different decisions and what are the costs of those outcomes? So that's step two, and he calls that a pre-mortem. Step three to better decision making is check the basics to make sure that small details won't keep you from accomplishing big things. So we do have a tendency as humans for complexity. So check the basics first, go for simplicity and make sure that if you're working as a part of a team, you're all communicating, you've all identified the problem and you're all starting at the same place and that you aren't working from a place of misunderstanding of the core problem or the basic details of the problem. So he talked about a team that was sending spacecrafts to Mars. And they were just not communicating, they weren't getting anywhere, and they found out that the scientists weren't checking the basic math. So some people were using the metric system and some people were using the imperial system. And so different team members and groups of teams were frustrated with each other and they weren't even using the same basic system of measurement. They weren't even talking about the same thing and they had a lot of reworks and do-overs. So the biggest thing I learned from this TED talk is to really practice thinking outside the box and challenging my own constraints, but also really making sure to go over those basic details, identifying the problem and the ways to solve the problem. I think sometimes I, when I do that, I feel like maybe I'm over communicating, but really making sure we're all starting from the same place when we solve a problem. All right, the second TED Talk
1: that we wanted to review is with Ruth Chang, a professor at Oxford University in the area of jurisprudence, which in simple terms means moral, social, legal, and political philosophy. I did have to look it up. So Ruth presented a TED Talk called How to Make Hard Choices, where she discusses how we tend to quantify hard choices and get into this sort of mindset that the decisions we make have a measurement value between them where one is going to be either lesser or more or equal to the other. And with this mindset, when we're presented with a difficult choice like, should I change jobs? Should I do this job or this job? Should I live in the country or the city? People tend to try to develop some sort of mathematical system to figure out which option is better or more than the other. So Ruth suggests changing our mindset away from this quantitative point of view of making hard choices and instead start seeing them as being on par in value. They just bring different values to the table, but one option is not necessarily better or more than the other. So with that in mind, Ruth points out that with difficult choices like changing jobs, moving to a new house, or ending a relationship, we have the power to add our own reason into making one decision over another. Do we want to live in the city or the country? Do we want to be an SLP or a
0: novelist? A novelist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I put that
0: one in there I like you. how you put that one in there. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening and you're like, Sarah, what is she talking about? I am writing a mystery novel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. So knowing that neither choice
1: is better or more than the other, the choice then becomes more about who we want to be and what life we want to live. And in that sense, hard choices are empowering and we get to write the story of our own lives when we make these decisions. Hard choices, Ruth says, are not a curse, but a godsend.
0: Mm. You're bringing us to church, Sarah. That's like very (laughs) powerful. I really like uh, the concept that if we're really struggling with two decisions, it's very likely that the two decisions are on par with each other and that one isn't better or worse than the other. That's a really powerful piece of that TED Mm -hmm. Talk. All right. Speaking of values and becoming the people we want to become, that brings me to the second and final TED Talk that I'm going to share, which is called How to Make Better Decisions by Dr. Joe Arvai. So Dr. Arvey is a researcher who looks into how we make decisions and who teaches at the University of Calgary. So the real perspective shared here is that the decisions we make are a mirror to reflect our values to the world around us. So in other words, decision making is a lens in which we can use to make choices to support our values. And I love this idea because personally, I'm big on values. And, you know, just this morning, Sari and I were talking about how my number one value being love and family made a really difficult decision this week easy, Mm -hmm. right? So again, the speaker argues that decision-making is a lens that allows you to clarify your values and make choices that align with those values. And, you know, who is the person that you'd like to become? So how do you make a big decision when you're going to question yourself? throughout the decision-making process. So all you can do is use the information you have at that moment and at that time, reflect on your values, and make the best decision that you can at that time. When making a difficult decision, Consider yourself an architect and not an archaeologist. So we aren't archaeologists digging for clues to make the decision and unearthing new things. We are architects. We are building. We are constructing a decision from the best information we have at that moment, as well as our own priorities and values. Again, we don't need to know the forever answers, but what is the answer for the specific point in time where we're making the decision? And then constructing, building that decision based on what's important to us.
1: I love that idea of being the architect, not the archaeologist, because I definitely have a tendency at times to be the archaeologist. And that actually ties into the last TED Talk quite well, which uh, featured Mikel Crojuris and Roman Schapler. I hope I said their last names right. They're co-authors of the book, Decision-Making, 50 Models for Strategic Thinking. This is actually a very entertaining TED Talk, if you're looking for a good chuckle about a deep concept. These two outline different decision-making strategies, using some fun chalkboard graphics for the audience to ponder as they go. And one of the systems that they reviews involves three concepts to consider. And these three concepts were preparing, timing, and regretting. So I'll go over each of those. Preparing relates to information we have or need to make decisions. When we have too little information, we kind of start to feel confused. So then we become those archaeologists, (laughs) like that last video, and we seek out more information. But there is a tipping point that we'll reach where we start questioning our own knowledge, causing us to again feel confused. This is what Mikel and Roman call TMI paradox, or the too much information paradox. The majority of people prefer somewhere between three to six options for choices when they go to the supermarket, for example. However, as Roman so wisely points out in this TED talk, life is not a supermarket. Which brings us to the second concept, timing, which relates to this idea of when we know that we know enough. As we go through life and reflect back on the decisions that we've already made, we know which ones were good and which ones were bad. The problem is we can't go through life backwards. We have to live it forwards. And this is referred to as O-M-T-T-I-U or oh my God, time's up problem. (laughs) 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 I'm
0: going to have to use that on myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, So the last concept was about regret. So when you've made a choice and have to live with it, your response is now called PDF or post-decision feeling. And the presenters point out that perfection is this idea that many of us strive for, wondering if we could have made a better choice, but they also compare perfection to the Loch Ness Monster in that it's rumored to exist but no one has ever seen it. So this was probably my personal favorite TED Talk on decision making, and I encourage our listeners to check it out and reflect on their own
0: decision making systems. Mm-hmm. I especially love that. What is it? Oh my God! Times up! Like yeah. time to make the decision already. <laughs> I'm gonna need that. Uh, and Sarah, you can feel free to use that with me the next time I come. <laughs> to me too. Me too. Uh, so. We're going to just summarize this by sharing, each sharing three things total that we learned from watching these TED Talks about making decisions. Um, How about we'll just share one, 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 one? Sure. Okay. Uh, So the first thing I learned that I wanted to really summarize and highlight here is that outside of the box thinking, that $5 Stanford experiment is to really consider your constraints and think outside the box and give yourself time to brainstorm even more options.
1: So one of the things I learned was not to view hard decisions as a qualitative more, less, or equal to in value. Uh, Rather, consider them as an empowering opportunity to use my reason and decide what life I want to live for myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love that it gives ourselves power because when we're in overwhelm, we feel like we don't have a lot of power over our decisions. Mm-hmm. So considering a, a decision making and empowering opportunity is uh, would really get you out of, I, I would assume, that feeling of just like powerlessness and overwhelm. All right. Second tip, do a premortem. So think about what your options are and what the potential outcomes of those would be. Uh, again, thinking of the cobra snake example where people just were breeding the snakes. So think, really think about like, if, I, if I'm if i considering multiple options here, what, what are some potential outcomes of each one so that I can see the downsides of each ahead of time.
1: I also learned to consider the strategies I'm using when I'm making decisions uh, relating to preparing, timing, or regret, How much information am I seeking out? And have I reached that tipping point where I know too much and I'm mm-hmm. confused by it? Um, when is the right time to make that decision? Have I waited too long? Have I missed the window of opportunity? And how am I going to feel PDF? What is that post decision feeling going to be for me?
0: hmm. And that's great too, because again, circling back to the powerlessness and overwhelm that a lot of us can get into when it comes to decision, um, figuring out what is our tipping point when it's, oh my God, time's up and we just need to decide. And that um, sometimes it's better to make a decision than to make no decision. Right. Uh, Let's see. And finally, I learned about being a decision architect. Building your life based on your priorities and values, building that structure, and considering that all you can use is the information you have right now. You don't know it all. So if you think about making that house, you might add an addition to the house, (laughs) you might rebuild, you might add a second floor, but you are constructing a house of your values, of, you know, you're becoming the person you want to be by all of these decisions you're making, and you're building a life that you hopefully Love. I love that
1: one. That was a big one for me too. Um, the final tip that I wanted to share though was uh, that it's important to check the basics involved in a decision and go for simplicity if possible. I love that story about the researchers using different mathematical systems because it's such a basic thing that they should have checked with their math and it probably took them forever to realize that they had skipped that simple step in the process. So Make sure you're checking the basics when you're making decisions.
0: So we loved these four TED Talks. Again, go ahead and get on the newsletter list if you're interested in getting this all written down and in one place in a downloadable PDF. And we hope this was helpful. So there you have it. That's today's show. We hope
1: you enjoyed this episode as we talked about what's up and what's down in our lives right now, shared a lazy lesson, a snack time lesson gone wrong, and a story about getting stalked by a bear. We also reviewed our favorite TED Talks about decision-making and highlighted points from all of them that we hope you may find helpful as you address hard decisions in
0: your own lives. <laughs> Getting stuck by a bear. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Just this little thing we talked about. Uh, so we hope that you found this episode helpful and learned something along the way. Again, if you want the freebie that goes with this episode, as always, slphappyhour.com slash newsletter please share this episode with a friend. You could really help them with some big decisions that they're making right now. So that's today's
1: show. We hope you enjoyed listening in just as much as we enjoyed recording it. We hope this episode has been a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.
0: Really consider your restraints. Oops. Fifty shades of gray. Um. Okay.
1: <laughs> really consider which ones you want, girls.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just took that to a place.
1: <laughs>
0: It's a tough decision sometimes. <laughs> this is so bad. Sometimes you're funnier than you intend to be. Okay. <laughs>